The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. So, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here today. Sometimes when it rains, I just don't know what New York will bring. <laughs> so, thanks for getting up and out. Um, I'd like to share today, I've been reading Joko Beck's um, book, um, and uh, she's a Dharma auntie in my lineage. Uh, my, my, my teacher, Dido Lori's Dharma sister, and also Hong Zhir. And these are two, two um, teachers who have had great support and influence in my life as a practitioner, and I wanted to share their teachings with you today. The first is from Hong Zhir, and he was a 12th century Zen teacher in China. Um, Incredible poet, greater influence on Dogen, who we speak about a lot. He was before Dogen. So this is one of his uh, practice instructions, which is um, something we are to do. Whenever there's practice instructions, we're being offered something to do. And it's called the bright, boundless field. The field of boundless emptiness is what exists from the very beginning. You must purify, cure, grind down, or brush away all the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. Then you can reside in the clear circle of brightness. Utter emptiness has no image. Upright independence does not rely on anything. Just expand and illuminate the original truth unconcerned by external conditions. Accordingly, we are told to realize that not a single thing exists. In this field, birth and death do not appear. The deep source, transparent down to the bottom, can radiantly shine and can respond unencumbered to each speck of dust without becoming its partner. The subtlety of seeing and hearing transcends mere colors and sounds. The whole affair functions without traces and mirrors without obscurations. Very naturally, mind and dharmas emerge and harmonize. An ancient said that non-mind embodies and fulfills the way of non-mind. Embodying and fulfilling the way of non-mind finally you can rest. With thoughts clear, sitting silently, 
wander into the center of the circle of wonder. This is how you must penetrate and study. So what I wanted to look at, and I'll get to Joko in a while in a little while, is how we suffer from our thoughts, how to inquire, inquire, wander into the center of circle of wonder, and in, begin to that deep inquiry. It is a deep inquiry into what we think about, if it's making us suffer, and to see if it's actually true. If it's not, then what? A lot of times we don't begin, we don't question, we see them. We see them come up, they, they bother us, but we don't really look, inquire, and wonder about them. As many of you know, I love Hong Jir. And I said if I, he was in my time, I'd probably ask him out for a date <laughs> and ask him to read his poetry to me, and I'd just lie on my back and receive it. <laughs> so beautiful. I mean, how he can speak about something without killing it, and it stays very fresh and alive. So Mizumi Roshi wrote about him as the tongueless one prescribes with wordless sparklings a medicine of non-dual existence for the bodiless one. When we appreciate the effect of this medicine, we know that medicine. We know that Master Hongzhi's 830-year-old relics are still fresh and warm and vitally universal. They're with us here today. The boundless field of emptiness is what exists from the very beginning. You must purify, cure, grind down, or brush away all the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. There it is. Now, the methods we have to investigate in ourselves. You know, sometimes Zen could be a little slappy, harsh purify, cure, grind down. So you have to pick your vocabulary, how you need to work with yourself. Then you can reside in the clear circle of brightness. So he does say that we need to um, enter into stillness, into the circle of, uh, where did I put that? We do need to be still. Oh, here it is sitting silently to be able to observe what arises in the mind, right? And become aware. First is awareness, seeing what's happening, and then that being able to inquire into these fabrications and tendencies. And I remember the first time I sat down, that that became apparent so quickly. I was just like, I'd see what I was thinking about, and usually it was awful for the most part. <laughs> those, so that some of our core beliefs tend to be rather negative, those things that we've had for a long time. You, you can all shake your head, that's true. <laughs> um, and I was real, and right away I just went, wait a minute, like, what am I thinking? And is it true? And it's like, I don't have to think that. 
I don't have to think that if it's not true. But I do. But I do. I keep grabbing it because it's familiar, right? We keep going for it. But that's where we get a chance as a practitioner and in sitting still, we have contained suffering. We're not, it's not like flying around as we're moving around through life. We get to sit down and look. It's contained. And then you do a session and we get even more dazed of contained suffering to examine and also freedom and playfulness. In all these decades of practice that I've been in, I've discovered that when I believe my thoughts, the ones, and didn't question them, especially if they were painful, I suffered. And that this is true for all of us. That's what I've learned. And freedom is as simple as that. It's unbinding what has never been bound. It's setting our thoughts free. Suffering is optional. Pain is not. We will suffer from our body, old aging, sickness. We feel the pain of that. But there is a question, an inquiry. Do we have to suffer from that? Is that that additional? Is that optional? Pain-free, no. No. That's what keeps us together, actually. And that once I found that truth in myself about my thinking, a, a measure of joy was found. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, that's it. That's it. That's the suffering. These deep beliefs and holding them so near and dear and familiar. And that joy has continued Not that I don't get moody or (laughs) feel pain or... So it's not about that. It's not about externals. And Buddha always invited us to test what we were learning, to inquire, to doubt, faith to doubt, right? That's one of his teachings. And then that is developed in our body, that trust and that faith begins to develop through our embodiment as we have direct experience and we remain there underneath the thoughts is pain and if we can stay in that that's what we're doing and stay alert to the questioning and the deep inquiry those thoughts lose power over us and I'm sure you see that in a period of zazen and I'm sure that's maybe why you continue because you see something's happening by your direct encounter, your experience. And if we deny what's happening, I don't want that, not that thought, that just sends it underground. It's, gonna, it's like it'll pop up again. It, it'll fester if we're, that, if, we're not, if we're denying or if we're trying to get rid of. So it's not denying and not supplying. Just something has arisen. How do we not chase, bite the hook? Or bite the hook, get off the hook? We can't stop or get rid of thoughts altogether. If you have done that, tell me about it. I don't know. 
I can still be very mindful and concentrated and have thoughts arise. That can be happening at the same time. And we can have thought-free moments. The Buddha called this when we get swept up out of the present moment and we buy into thoughts. It was, he called it proliferation. And there's a wonderful Pali term called papanka. <laughs> it's great to say. Papanka <laughs> means proliferation. Papanka. We all experience it probably experience it daily. Papanka is the way the mind hooks onto something and gets dragged off into it. Often it's a repetitive cyclic loop and it's triggered through one of our senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, feeling. So I'll give you a couple papanka examples. <laughs> this is an old story, and I love it because it's about a potato, which I love. Any of you who know me, I'm, I'm a real fan of potatoes. I, I love to study potatoes. I think they're the most incredible things on the planet. So the proliferation is fascinating if we can just watch it, but we believe in it. We believe in it. So there's a woman who wants some potatoes for a meal she's cooking. So she sends her husband to the marketplace to buy potatoes. And as he walks out the door, she calls after him, be sure to get a good price. So all the way to the marketplace, the man is thinking about potatoes and what he'll have to pay. If he buys the very best potatoes, he knows he'll have to pay more than if he buys lesser quality potatoes. On the other hand, the lesser quality potatoes are just that, not so good. In fact, he knows he'll have to be very careful in buying other than the top price potatoes because the seller might try to stick them with a bad potato, even a rotten potato. When he thinks of someone cheating him by giving him a rotten potato, he gets really mad. Why do people have to be so greedy and stick me with a rotten potato? Just at this point, he reaches the stall of the potato seller and screams at them, you can keep your rotten potatoes, and he walks off. Now, that's not so far-fetched with what happens in us. We start get hooked on something, and we think this is what's going to happen, and by the time we get there, we're fuming, and nothing has happened. Or lunch is coming, right? Yeah, let's see. And we think, oh, gosh, where did I put that? Oh, lost my lunch story. We, we smell something in the air, and it smells like potatoes. And it's like, wow, when's this talk going to end? I could really use some French fries. Really in the mood for French fries today. As soon as I leave here, I'm going to get some French fries. I'm really hungry. Oh, my legs are really hurting. I don't know if I like this practice. I don't think this one's really for me. I think, <laughs> da -dun, da -dun, right? It all started because we're hungry. That's papanka, proliferation. And as practice deepens, there are long expanses that are thought-free. 
Oh, here it is, my journey to lunch. What else did I have in there? Maybe this is the last time I'll come. Everyone is doing so much better than I am. They sit so still. I want some fries. My grandmother made them perfectly. Damn, I forgot to call her. You're always a screw-up. That's the rest of the story of my potatoes for lunch. So sometimes we'll really grasp onto the security of thinking because it feels like it's secure. And sometimes we say, I can't let go, I can't let go. Something keeps coming, and we say, then let it in. If we're, our, our body's in pain somewhere, and we know we're okay, but we want to move or we have an itch, let it in. So sometimes letting in is letting go. We always think, let go, let go, let go. Well, sometimes letting in is letting go. So you have to see it the other way as well. So to be able to question what we're believing in moments is an amazing gift to give ourselves, And we can have it all the days of our life. Buddha's realization was all sentient beings everywhere fully possess the wisdom and virtues of the awakened ones. But because of our false conceptions and attachments, we do not realize it. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing, is already who, are, who we already are. And everything wants to return to that purity, that goodness. It's already there. It's pressing against what we're thinking about. The answers are always inside of us, always waiting to be heard. In this field, birth and death do not appear. The deep source, transparent down to the bottom, can radiantly shine and can respond unencumbered by each speck of dust, by each thought, without becoming its partner. But we partner. Come on, let's go. Let's travel together, thought. The essential practice in the Zen tradition is to simply wake up to this empty field, right? It cannot be cultivated or proven, Hongjir says. From the beginning, it is altogether complete. That's why he says, rest. Rest from that thinking mind. And you'll see, it's altogether complete all together there. He says in another place, we are thrown back into conditioned responses concocted previously by our human consciousness. The practice thus further involves closely observing our delusions and using these obstructions themselves to clarify and illuminate the fundamental field of awakening. Nothing to get rid of. We can bow to our mind for that thought that we're seeing. Thank you. I see where I'm hooked. I see what's being generated. And use that, not as getting in our way, but to clarify what is real and true. What are we believing? After all, says Hongjir, haven't you yourself established the mind that thinks up all these illusory conditions? 
hmm, <laughs> take that one in. Like, nobody's doing anything to us. You must purify, cure, grind down, or brush away all the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. Must see through these tendencies to illuminate the original truth that not a single thing exists. Until then, it is obscured. In another place, he writes, completely withdraw from the invisible, invisible pounding and weaving of your ingrained ideas. If you want to be rid of this invisible turmoil, you must sit through it and let everything go and let go of everything. So this reminded me of, um, I used to have an inflammatory thing in my colon really sick, like, I didn't know what was going on. And I was scared. I never had anything like this, though I did see signs when I looked at it carefully. This was many years back, and I, 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 am, I have healed myself. But um, I used to, um, I went to a, um, um, a workshop somebody was having that had the same illness. It was called colitis. Some of you may have heard of it. It's, a, it's where your, your cells naturally that we have go after things that don't belong in us. It's the same thing on the outside. Same attack, right, on the inside. And it goes after healthy flesh. And they don't know what causes it. But it starts to, we start to eat away what's already healthy. And so I was like, wow, what is going on here? And I was seeing the connection of body and mind for a long time. So I went to a workshop. Somebody wrote a book called I Beat Colitis. And I thought, no, like, I don't beat it. I caress it, right? But I was curious why she had to beat it and why she used that language. Because our language, if you listen, we sometimes, you'll hear yourself saying something like, um, that's a pain in my, and fill it in. And just be careful with that thought. You know, pain in the neck, pain in the whatever. But, you know, be careful. But um, she was, uh, so she, um, I, afterwards I spoke to her, and um, she told me why she had to beat it um, and her life situation and the fight she needed to do. And I, I recognized I needed to be much softer, much more caressing. I used to put the picture of it up on the wall and take a paintbrush and paint the right color that my innards needed to be, you know. And then I worked with my mind. What was I believing? And I was attacking myself constantly. You would never know. Nobody knows what goes on behind our beautiful faces and smiles, what we do with our mind inside. So we have to stop this war. It's a major part of our healing, our growth, our seeing clearly, recognizing that we're whole and what what has happened? We know things have happened. And how do we stop attacking? 
What are we believing that that attack is still happening? It doesn't take away what happened. That's still what happened, right? doesn't take away any of the experiences that we went through. Nothing's erased. Nothing's erased. But we need to see what, how we're meeting what has been come into our life. And we need to know how to work with ourselves. Sometimes we have to be a little bit firmer. You know, in Zen, they say, my teacher used to say, pull up your bootstraps, you know. And for some of us, we have to do that sometimes. And sometimes it's like, let down your hair. I wish I could. But I know the feeling. Relax. Don't pull up. Stop stiffening. Stop attacking. I remember working with uh, Vimala Sara, Valerie Mason John. She, um, she's a teacher in, um, I think it's Vipassana or Theravada, I can't remember. She wrote um, Eight Steps Recovery. Uh, she lives in England, Detox Your Heart, Making Black Waves. And she says, uh, her teaching is, we suffer because we go to war with our unexamined mind. She calls it, let go of your stinking thinking. She says it all the time. You got to let go of your stinking thinking. And she can say that. if She tells her life story, and it's a miracle. And all her strategies and drug use and alcohol and, like, everything. And here she is now, this Buddhist teacher. <laughs> She's just the, just showed how she changed her stinking thinking. And that's where all her suffering was. What she, these foundational beliefs, Joko calls them core beliefs, which I'll get to, and how we form ourselves. So inquiry wakes us up from the dream world, encourages us to consider our painful thoughts as though they are children who are trying to tell us their story. And if we turn away from them or silence them, they follow us. You ever turn a kid away? They just keep coming at you. I want waiting to be heard and cared for. Bhimala Sara says, inquiry is a way of sitting with our thoughts, caring for them, hearing them, and through this, they let us go. They let us go. I like that. That's a turnaround. It's not us letting go. When we care for ourselves, stop fighting. Our thoughts let us go. And we can't stop there. We have to do what none of us want to do, which is to sit with the experiential pain from those thoughts to move through the body. And that's the heart of the practice. That's the heart of the practice. Resting in the present moment, going through the pain, and seeing the nature of it all. That's the opportunity we have. Hongjir says, accordingly we are told to realize that not a single thing exists. In this field, birth and death do not appear. With thoughts clear, sitting silently, wander into the circle, center of the circle 
of wonder. So Joko, Joko Beck was American-born. She received transmission from Hakuyu Taizan, who was my teacher's teacher, Mazumi Roshi. And she actually left Mizumi Roshi because of um, sexual misconduct within their practice and formed her own teaching, Ordinary Mind. And she passed away in 2011. And um, I found, I remember Chugin, when when she died, we did a memorial service for her. And Shugen Roshi, my teacher now, wrote this poem for her, which when I found it, I was like, perfect, so good. I'll read it to you. For Joko, struck by wonder in a boundless field of awe, now as before, free to play amidst the dancing grasses. Swinging the diamond sword, she cuts away all attempts to gild. Nothing special. Ka! A bowl of ice cream, fingers on a keyboard, Outside of this, how is it? What? What? It's said that one of the last things she asked for before she died was a bowl of ice cream. Kind of nice. So I really appreciate her teachings and explorations of inquiry, which she calls our core beliefs, examining. And she defines it as the hidden negative convictions we hold about ourselves that direct our thoughts and behaviors and that keep us from experiencing our life as it is. And she does have a psychological background. So that's, she feels like we do need to deal with our psychological self to let go, to let in, to release. And so I wanted to share her teachings directly in her clear language very simple. Some of them, I had a lot more, but I don't think we'll have time for all that I (laughs) highlighted. But um, how we turn thinking to experiencing, compulsivity to confidence, anguish to peaceful dwelling. So this is her chapter on See What You Do, The Wonder of Surrender. And I'm going to have to slim it down unless you want to, your potato smell isn't coming in yet and you can hang out for a few minutes. (laughs) Um, I did wanted to share with you how she um, works with the Buddhist term, the self. I think that's important to hear, this experience of no self. I'll read her words. No self doesn't mean you evaporate. It simply means that yourself at any moment is devoted to that which is appearing, the endless life that shows up second by second by second. No self is neither wonderful nor terrible. We're just here at this second. We create space and time, but life is just happening. The true self, this is no self, is incapable of judgment. It can't think about something as good or bad. 
It's outside of space or time. If there's no duration, there's no, in quotes, unit that can judge. No self is just moving, you might say. People often come to Zen because they're looking for true self. But you can't look for the true self. It's nothing. Actually, you're doing fine. Your true self is absolutely fine. Leave it alone. (laughs) There's nothing to find. What you can do is constantly work with conditioned self, the one whose lens is the core belief. Because the conditioned self looks at everything through the distorted lens of the core belief. It can never see the world as it is. We don't have to get rid of the core belief. That may be too hard. But we have to see through it. In this way, what is hard, thick, and fixed slowly becomes transparent. And we begin to see it's nothing at all. None of us can do this completely. One great Zen master says that we all keep a tiny bit of self-belief because it is what connects us to being human. To truly feel when we're humiliated, hurt, taken advantage of, or whatever is shaking our core, we really don't want to do that. But I can do it. I don't always get into it in two seconds. Sometimes it takes a while. You can do it too. And you have a responsibility to do it. Not because any teacher says so. Because your true self says so. I'd love to read you more, but I won't. (laughs) I'll just end with another poet who I like. Young Pueblo. Do you know Young Pueblo? And this is from his book called Inward, or their book. I'm not sure their pronouns. The mind is a garden. What we decide to grow there will determine our propensity. With thoughts clear, silently sitting, Wander into the center of wonder. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.